I said to Pastor Mark when he sat down, this should be one of the places that you say, this is a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, as opposed to saying, this is the Gospel of the Lord. There's not a lot of gospel in there. It is a reading from that gospel. He leaned over to me and said, man, am I glad you're preaching on this. Yeah, it's something today to hear those words. I would think probably there's a tinge of guilt going on in most of us to hear what Jesus has to say with us. We've been angry with someone in our lives, and we hear those words. We've lusted after someone or something, wanted something that didn't belong to us. If you don't have a tinge of guilt, I would suggest you take your pulse, see if you're alive because the Word has its effect on us. I want to look at this today. I want to really get into what Jesus is talking about. I want to put it in some context as we look at these things. But I want you to remember two things as we get into this and we look. First and foremost, Jesus is not addressing every and all situations in these things. They're not like general truisms that fit every circumstance. He's addressing what he's addressing right there. And some of the things that he talks about have specific historical situations of his day that no longer fit our situation. That doesn't mean Jesus' words are not eternal, but we need to look at these things. We need to understand that. What Jesus is addressing in these things is the inner intent in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. The things in life that affect our conscience. Talking about conscience, there was a mom who was helping her daughter do homework, and it was a spelling test, and it had those, these two words in it. It had the word conscience, but it also had the word conscious. Very subtle to hear that difference. I hope you can. She said, do you know what the difference between these words is? And the response was, well, yes. Conscious is when you are aware of something. Well, what about the other one, conscience? said, well, that's when you're aware of something, but you wish you weren't. <laughs> How true that is. Again, we're going to look at these. I want you to open up your Bible to Matthew 5 or take your worship folder and open that up to the reading today. We're going to take each of these kind of one by one. I'm not going to deal with the very last one that talks about Olds because there really is a total historical context of what Jesus is talking about and the practice of that day. I'm not going to go down there because it's hard for us. It doesn't really always fit other than that last line. Just say yes or no. So let's look at this first one. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to, to judgment. First and foremost, notice the word that Jesus says. Anyone who's angry with a brother or sister. That's important for us to understand. It means a fellow believer. He's addressing his people. He's addressing his followers. He's focused on his people always first and foremost versus what's going on in the world. The reason being is that we represent him to the world at large. And if there's problems going on with us and in our relationship, then it affects our witness of what's going on out into the world. 
Really, he's talking about the intent and our relationships with one another, what, we go, what goes on, because there is this horizontal aspect of us as believers in this place, in harmony, in love, getting along together, versus what happens to us in this vertical aspect from God ministering to us, and the horizontal totally affects the vertical totally can affect our relationship with God if we have things going on in our lives. Well, what does anger really look like when we hear those words, anger? A son asked a father that for, what's the difference, dad, kind of between anger and exasperation? Can you help me out with this? The dad said, sure. He picked up his cell phone and he dialed a number. And the person on the other end of the phone said, hello? The father said, hi, is Melvin there? No, I'm sorry, no Melvin here, you have the wrong number, and he hung up. The dad said, now watch, and he picked up his phone, and he dialed that same number again. And the person on the other end said, hello, and he said, hi, is Melvin there? He says, look, buddy, I told you the first time you called, there's no Melvin here. Have a little respect for people, and look at the number you're dialing before you call it. And he kind of hung up abruptly. The dad looked at the son and said, now that is anger. He said, now I'll show you exasperation. He picked up the phone and he dialed the same number. You could hear the person on the other end of the line, hello! He said, hi, this is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? (laughs) You get it. Anger. Jesus' point to us in this passage, when there is anger going on in our lives, it needs to be reconciled. It needs to be mended quickly. Relationships need to be healed. Forgiveness needs to be offered. As his people, Jesus says we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. Jesus holds nothing back in our forgiveness, no matter how bad we've hurt him, no matter how grievous the sin. So it is with us, with one another. Because broken relationships among us and in the world can disintegrate quickly and can begin to affect our relationship with God because of the hardness of our heart. That we don't hear what Jesus is saying so much. Unreconciled grievances can lead to so many worse things. That's why Jesus says this is important. Reconcile. Heal. Forgive. You know, there was a point in the ancient church that in the service there was what they called the passing of the peace. And this was the point in the service that allowed people to do this as they went to one another before they went to the sacrament of the altar to reconcile, to be healed, to understand this needs to be healed so this can also be healing to them. Well, let's look at that next one that Jesus talks about when he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is telling us that to God, the inner, what goes on in our hearts and our minds, is equal to the external. There's no difference. He's also telling us sin doesn't begin where we think it does. It doesn't begin solely in the action when we do something. It begins in here. It begins with a decision. And the decision for us to want something and to lust after it, to covet it, 
has to do with us saying to God, I don't want you involved in my life. I don't want you telling me what to do. I will do whatever it is I want in here. It starts with that decision. The heart that does this, that doesn't take God's word seriously, that looks at it and passes it off as unimportant, gives birth often to action, not just thought. It lives itself out so much. The only way the scriptures tell us is to combat that in our hearts is to be in the presence of God through his word, through his grace, through prayer, and to wrestle with these things. Jesus uses examples then of self-mutilation. And we might look at that and say, wow, that just blows my mind. But what Jesus is trying to say to us is not literally go do this, but he's saying that sin is painful. And to rid ourselves of it is even more painful. It takes work. It's, hard. it's a hard thing to do in our lives. And we have to strive with his word and through prayer on these things. You see, we can control what our eyes see. Makes me think of that song that little kids learn, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because we can. We can shut our eyes. We can turn off the television. We can shut the computer. We can look at the road and not at somebody walking alongside of it. Whatever. Our eyes are our control. We can do that. But it's not easy. It's hard. And Jesus is telling us, realize how thin the line between thought and action is. Don't fool yourself. Don't go down that path because you'll find yourself acting on the thought. He says it's so thin that we need to realize something. We need to realize that the thought, just the thought in our mind, is equal to the action that we see in the world that fuels a billion-dollar pornography industry. We need to realize that the thought of wanting something that doesn't belong to us in our minds is equal to the action going on in the world that is organized crime or home invasions or rampant theft. Those things are equal. We need to understand the subtlety of what we think easily goes down the road to action. And Jesus wants us to be careful. Well, let's look at the next one. Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I would say this is an uncomfortable one, and we need to understand some things. We know in our world that this exists. But I want you to put it in context of what Jesus is specifically addressing so that we can expand on that. In Jesus' day, the most important thing was not that you divorced. The most important thing was how you divorced, the way you went about it. That was more important than whether or not you divorced. See, there were two schools of thought that were taught by the rabbis. And as they looked at the passages in Deuteronomy, where this comes from, where Moses talks about a certificate of divorce, one school looked at it and said, well, we think this word means adultery. So that was what they taught. You can only divorce for adultery. Well, the other school of thought looked at it with kind of a more liberal attitude and said, well, we think this word really means you can divorce for a matter, and that became and was taught then you can divorce for 
any matter. You can divorce your wife if she doesn't cook the meal right for you. All you need to do is make sure you do it the right way and that you give her a certificate of divorce. And which rabbi you followed based your interpretation and what you believed. And that's why we see so much that the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law are coming to Jesus to always ask him questions about marriage wherever it is and divorce because they want to know where he falls in line with those two teachings in Israel so they understand where he's coming from. But what Jesus is telling us in this passage is what God's original intent is for marriage. That his intent is as he restated it to them. In the beginning, God created man and woman. And God made them and joined them together. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no person separate. What Jesus is saying is there's practice out there. There's things that are happening that are allowed by God, but that wasn't God's original intent. For instance, think about the Old Testament. Think about David. Think about Solomon. Think about kings, Abraham, whoever you want to look at in there. And think about what we would call monogamous marriages and relationships didn't follow for those guys. They had many wives. They had concubines. They had harems, all those things going on. That wasn't God's intent for them. God didn't say, go do this, but God allowed it. Here's the problem. When we look at the scriptures on what God allowed them to do, we see it play itself out in their lives with grievous problems, problems that broke their hearts, problems that plagued them no matter what. Devastating consequences resulted in that practice. And what Jesus is saying, not addressing, again, every situation, everything that goes on. We know that there are situations that take place with abuse and other things where there has to be divorce and separation. But what Jesus is restating again is what God's plan was. That we as human beings should not try because of our hearts to interfere in what God's plan was and trying to separate lives that are joined by him. He's addressing this, that in his day, divorce was no big deal. That's kind of the attitude that he had. And what Jesus is simply trying to say to us is realize it is a big deal because it brings heartache and it brings sorrow and it brings scars that go with it. And we don't want to just ever pass it off as the norm, pass it off as it doesn't matter, pass it off as there's no harm done with it. It's important to remember that. Jesus wants us to look at God's intent. And in as much as we are able to follow that in our hearts, not only in our actions, in our lives, we know that doesn't always happen. But no matter what, we go back again and again to the standard to understand God's will for our lives. You see, all of these things that Jesus is talking about, as I said in the beginning, have to do with intent, have to do with the problem in our heart. You know, Max Lucado, who is a well-known Christian author, at one time had a problem with his rhythm in his heart, and he was going in to have what's known as a, a cardiac ablation or a catheter ablation, where they would go in, and the morning of the procedure as he's being wheeled in, he kind of jokingly looked at the doctor, and he said, now, I want to understand this, right? You're going to burn the interior of my heart this morning, and the surgeon replied to him, correct. He said, and you're going to go in there and you're going to kill kind of all those misbehaving cells, right? The surgeon responded, well, that's my plan. 
So Lucado, kind of smiling, he said, well, while you're in there working on, that, on those cells, could you take your little blowtorch to some of my greed and my selfishness and my superiority and my guilt and fix those things too? To which the surgeon looked at him and replied, uh, sorry, but that's out of my pay grade. You know, purifying our own hearts, our minds, our lives, cleansing ourselves from sin is above our pay grade also. As much as we would like to take control of those things and justify them and say we're right, that belongs to someone who gave his life. You know, last week's gospel at the very end of the passage precedes this passage. Jesus said these words, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about that. What was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what was their righteousness in? It was in keeping the law perfectly. Well, what is our righteousness in? Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ who kept the law perfectly for us. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that our righteousness in him will always surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because he's the one who did it for us. He wants us to be aware of our heart life, of what goes on in our hearts so that they, by his grace, by his love, will also be pure in our thoughts, in our actions, in our deeds. But also remember this. The Jesus who makes these impossible standards that we hear today is also the Jesus who many times in his ministry forgave people that were caught in adultery. Jesus who forgave the thief on the cross next to him. Jesus who forgave a disciple who disowned that he ever knew him. Jesus calls us to be perfect And then Jesus on the cross pays for the sins of the imperfect, you and me, and gives us that perfection. Jesus set the bar so high for us that it seems unachievable in our lives. And then Jesus is the one who covers us in his only achievable grace, that we might know we are not separated, but we are loved by him And so that we don't focus on us, so that we focus on what he did for us on the cross. You know, in the Old Testament lesson today, Moses tells the people, here's what God has willed for your life. Here is God's intent. Choose life. Choose the right thing. Don't go down the other path. Jesus says the same thing to us. Choose life. But here's the thing. Then Jesus on the cross gives that life to us by his grace and his forgiveness. May we always, as his people, remember the eternal will of God for our lives, that it is a pathway of life. But may we also know that when we stumble and we fall, the life that Jesus won for us on the cross overshadows anything that we have ever done in our lives and any failure and brokenness and restores us to his side so that we may worship and praise him and be in fellowship with him forever. Amen.